Dr. Jean-Denis Vigne studies the interactions between biodiversity and early societies, including the origins of animal domestication during the Holocene. He has published hundreds of articles on animal husbandry and early domestication and is one of the emeritus directors of research at the Natural History Museum in Paris, where he focused on dynamics of interactions between ancient proto-historic societies and animal biodiversity. And it's Dr. Vigne's team that excavated at Chilurogambos that transformed our understanding of early Neolithic societies in Cyprus. And today he's with us to discuss not only these early Neolithic societies, but the domestication of cats. And uh, thank you so much for accepting my invitation. I'm I'm really honored to my pleasure to be speaking with you because I've known about you know it, it, basically it's it's nice to put a, a name to the work because <laughs> your work is very famous. Everyone knows about the uh, uh, the excavations in Shilu Rogambos and. And uh, just to put a face to the name, I'm 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 honored. Thank you so much. Oh, that's okay. I'm happy because um, there is not a lot of opportunities for making um, uh, for 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 making available to to Greek public uh, all our results, uh, especially in Cyprus, because it's published in a lot of different countries, in a lot of different scientific uh, journals, but. Uh, the Greek public is not is not really aware of uh, of what we we did, and is still uh, believing that the prehistory of Cyprus began uh, with Kirkitia. <laughs> so uh, it's necessary for us to make a, a, an effort to 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 uh, to make it uh, clear for the Greek public uh, all what we did during the last years and decades. Right, and and that's that's kind of the, one of the reasons why this podcast was created to to you know give a platform for academics such as yourself to share all this information with the wider public, yeah. and and for that I'm very I'm very grateful. These events that take place during the Neolithic period, are you able to describe to care uh, the characteristics and innovations of the period uh, to listeners and? Just tell us how archaeologists separated into these different periods, like the pre-pottery Neolithic A and pre-pottery Neolithic B. Can you do that for listeners, please? Okay. In the, in the East Mediterranean, the, the Neolithic transition is characterized by a succession of innovation that took place over more than two millennia. So it's not a revolution in the, in the sense of a very short and, and uh, drastic event. It's a long transition. And this long transition uh, is uh, uh, different in, in the different areas of the world, uh, sometimes shorter, sometimes longer. And, and uh, we distinguish several phases in this transition. And in the, the Near East, uh, there are two main uh, periods. Uh, the, the PPNA, that is to say the pre-pottery Neolithic A, the first pre-pottery Neolithic, which is the earliest Neolithic in this area, uh, characterized by the first villages, the cereal and legumes cultivation, uh, and it, this PPNA is dated between 9500 and 8500 BC. And the second period 
which is longer, is the PPNB, pre-portrait neurotic again, but the B phase, the second part, is starting from 8500 uh, BC, before Christ, and it's characterized by the domestication of ungulates, sheep, goat, cattle, and, and pigs, and uh, starting from 8000 uh, BC, by the birth and consolidation of farming, uh, with cultivation and animal husbandry. What is important to emphasize is that uh, in the Near East, the sedentarization uh, is much earlier than this PPNA and PPNB. It began around 12,000 BC. So that is to say, two, three millennia before the, the, the first villages and the first cereal and legume cultivations. And second point, uh, in Europe, uh, most of the archaeologists uh, consider that pottery is the main signal of, of the beginning of the Neolithic. It's not true in the Near East. It's not true in Africa. It's not true in Central Asia because the, 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 the first potteries uh, are not correlated with the, the beginning of, of cultivation and, and animal husbandry. In the Near East, pottery appears very late, around 7000 BC, that is to say really at the end of the PPNB. But in, in Central Asia, it appears during the Paleolithic in, in, around the uh, uh, 10,000 uh, or, or even 20,000 years uh, in uh, in China, for example, so that's uh, this chronology is really specific to 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 the Near East, to the East Mediterranean. Uh, you, now, you you write that it was once thought that, and, and I quote, uh, Cyprus was not closely linked with the continent, and that voyaging on the open sea was surprisingly poor, and that new data over the last three decades has turned upside down our perception. Of the history of early voyaging. Um, so what essentially has challenged these presumptions? Um, you know, in, in what ways, what's the recent research that has really highlighted how uh, interconnected Cyprus was in, during this period? Yes, uh, we, 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 we have, uh, we had a, a real change in our um, conceptions of the beginning of of human presence in, in Cyprus during the last 30 years. Uh, during the 90s, at the end of the last century, uh, most of the scientists considered that uh, Cyprus, uh, the beginning of the Neolithic in, in Cyprus, was dated to the, the, the seventh millennium BC. That is to say that it was very late with reference to the, the beginning of the Neolithic on the, on the near mainland, to the... PPNE and PPNB, I just spoke about. And, and just so that, that I understand, and this is where people usually point to Hirokitia. That's the yes, that's... yes, yes. Uh, the, the 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 beginning of the Neolithic at that time was was Hirokitia. That is to say, uh, uh, a date between uh, seven thousand and six thousand BC. And during the 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 last decades, we we found not a lot, but uh, a sufficient number of sites earlier than Kirikitia, uh, to, 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 to say that first, uh, people came to Cyprus more frequently than we suspected during the, the, the glacial times, the late glacial times, that we call the, the late glacial, uh, 
Uh, we have now several epipaleolithic sites uh, uh, which have been occupied temporarily by, by hunters-gatherers. And we have also uh, several sites dating to the PPNA and PPNB. And these sites indicate that there were intense cultural exchanges between the island and the continent during all this period that we've during which we, we, we thought before that there were nobody in Cyprus. Um, and, and the most interesting is that we, we noticed in, in these sites uh, evidence of the introduction of, of obsidian. This is the, the volcanic uh, glass coming from Anatolia. Uh, introductions of plants, uh, domestic uh, plants or animals to Cyprus, especially for animals, wild boar, then mice, cats, cattle, goat, fallow deer, and this and that. And this suggests that there were really important influx coming from the continent to Cyprus and consequently uh, uh, very intense voyaging, even though we can suppose that a lot of this seafaring didn't uh, succeed uh, by an, ar an arrival to, to Cyprus. But it seems that... Uh, Really, we have to change our mind and consider that uh, seafaring was already well mastered and developed during this very early millennia of the of the end of the prehistory. Do we know exactly what would have been transported at, at this time? Um, you know, from the from the mainland to to Cyprus, what would they have brought with them? Uh, uh, yes, it's important to know what what we are speaking of. Uh, for example, if you consider the introduction of obsidian or, or, or wild boar to, to Cyprus, um, of course, the, the, the way is long, but uh, a simple dugout canoe can be used, even though they are very slow. Uh, a reconstruction of the Neolithic dugout found at La Marmotta in, Ita in Italy indicates that it could not, not go faster than 4 kilometers per hour, with the speed crossing the 80 kilometers from the mainland to Cyprus. would have taken more than 20 hours and forced people to learn how to navigate by night. This is the first point. But if you consider now the transportation of much larger and difficult animals, such as uh, large cattle, you have really to imagine completely different uh, seafaring systems. Uh, a wind calf was 50 kilos at that time. They were very big, uh, very big cattle and it cannot be kept on board during more than 20 hours without moving, keeping the remnant without movement for more than three or four hours would have entailed serious physiological disorders, lowering considerably the chance of the animal reached the island in good health. So people who introduced cattle to Cyprus were necessarily able to make large boats, much larger than a simple dugout canoe, and probably used sailing in order to shorter the travel duration. Right, you know, because when I originally thought about seafaring, um, in in the most simplest design of a craft, I, I'm I'm automatically thinking a, a canoe, but um, I saw on, on some of the reconstructions we're we're talking about um, 
yeah. larger crafts, like sort of raft-like. And yes. Yes. these these animals, they had to be tied down on these rafts, which just sounds terrible. Yes. <laughs> it, sounds, it, it sounds incredibly dangerous, incredibly difficult. Yes, sure. <laughs> Yes, uh, uh, the 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 dugout canoe is something important because this is nearly the only model that we have in in mind when when we look at the archaeological documentation. So uh, most of the time we imagine a mo- much larger boat, but still conceived on the model of of uh, the the. The association of two or three dugout canoes with with, with a, a larger surface for for keeping large animals or more people and so on. Mm-hmm. Now, how would they have uh, navigated? Because you mentioned especially that it necessitated navigating by night. Um, do 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 we know um, how they would have uh, yeah. made their way across the Mediterranean? <laughs> Yeah, no, we don't know, of course. First, we have absolutely no wreck uh, before the Bronze Age. So for, for these periods, we have nothing, nothing, nothing about the, 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 the shape of the boats and how they were, they were made. And, but, but what we can suspect is that even sailing, people would need several, several tens of hours to, to travel. Because you cannot you cannot go in straight line. Of course, you have uh, you have uh, sea streams, you have uh, winds, and this and that. So it's rather complicated. The distance is not very important. You can see Cyprus from from the mountains in in Anatolia or even even in 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 Liban. But when you are on the sea, there is necessarily a, a couple of hours or more when you didn't see anymore uh, the the seashore from which you you started or the seashore where you 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 want to to land so it's absolutely necessary to have a certain experience of streams winds birds and this and that uh, in order to follow the right direction and then when you arrive along the 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 coast of cyprus you have also to know uh, some uh, landmarks in order to 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 see the place where you will land, you, you cannot land anywhere. Sometimes it's really difficult. And when you land, these boats should be transported and 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 and, uh, and put on on the on the on the sand. On the, and and you have also to know how to do that. And and so it's absolutely necessary that these guys were really skilled in terms of navigation, and not alone. It was not a simple anecdotic event. It was a, a, a know-how, a knowledge of, of navigation that they should have had really to do that frequently transporting animals, uh, especially. Do we know, um, uh, or can we surmise, what sort of internal and external pressures did these migrating groups face, you know, in order to take to the open sea? I mean, it's not a, it's not, you know, like getting in our car and and going to the, you know, to the grocery store. This is, this is a significant event. It's difficult to know. Probably the first time was a, was by chance. They, they were brought by wind, by, by the stream or something like that to Cyprus very long times ago. Um, But, but what I speak is not this, kind of uh, hazardous uh, 
uh, travel, it's it's something that people necessarily mastered in order to 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 be sure that or pretty sure that they will arrive at their at their at the island and transport what they are they were transporting. So probably. Um, it, 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 you, you, we have not to imagine um, an expedition. It's probably okay. people who, special part of the society, special groups of humans who had these skills and who were able to, to, to provide this kind of service to, to the other people, transporting things from the mainland to the island and maybe from, from the island to the mainland. And okay. this is this is not um, a colonization of the island, but this is a permanent exchange system between the island and the mainland, starting from the time when we have sites visible by archaeologists in Cyprus. Mm-hmm. Now, um, a lot of people, when they think about Cyprus, um, you know, we talked about this very briefly at the start. Uh, they they think about Hirokitia as the earliest permanent settlement, but you've excavated um, uh, just outside of Ayostihonas in a site called Klimonas, uh, uh, I think. Yeah. Um, can you tell us a little bit about about that dig and <laughs> its its significance? Because this really. Um, sort of pushes back the timeline when, when dealing with early uh, present, early human presence in Cyprus. Mm-hmm. Um, and is it true that it is the oldest agricultural village in the Mediterranean, or am I mistaken in saying that? Not in Mediterranean, but in, an, in a Mediterranean island. Yes, that's ah, true. Okay. But right. not in yes. the Mediterranean. No, 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 no. no. Uh, yes, uh, you're right. Klimonas is really a fantastic site, and, and it was totally unexpected when when we found it. Uh, We we excavated this site together with François Briois and Jean Guilaine between 2011 and 2016. The site was already known before, but uh, we didn't uh, evaluate the the importance of the site uh, at the the right level. Uh, So we, we didn't excavate. And finally, we decided to excavate in 2011 because we found really strange things. And you see, this is a new... This is a new period. This is a new prehistoric culture that we never, uh, we never find before. Uh, and uh, and finally, after uh, these uh, six or seven years of excavation, um, we found that this site was occupied uh, around 8,800 calibrated BC. That is to say, a time for which we had never found any site in Cyprus at that time. Except that, in the same time, our colleague, um, Carole McCartney, was also finding a a, a smaller but contemporaneous site at Asprocremnos. So in the same time, uh, Carole and and, and our group found nearly the same period at two different places. But Klimonas is much more important. It's a complete village. And uh, and this is actually the earliest village known in Cyprus today. It's also the earliest village on on the Mediterranean island, old Mediterranean island. Uh, this uh, village extended on more than half an hectare. That is to say, it's not 
very, very big with reference to the contemporaneous villages in on the continent. But it's in the middle range. It's not a small, it's not a small village, it's a rather large village. Uh, it was composed of uh, round earthen residential buildings, large of four to six meters in diameter. Uh, and this, uh, these buildings were uh, arranged around a much large, larger and semi-embedded building where people grouped together for meeting, ritual practices and collective food storing. These central big buildings are uh, already were already known in the in the PPNA villages uh, on of the on the continent, and they 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 were called uh, communal building. This is why we speak of of village. Um, you know, there is a lot of uh, an, uh, an accumulation of uh, a group of of buildings uh, is is a hamlet, and starting from the time you have a communal building. Uh, in the center, this is really uh, a village, like we we have today villages with with the city hall or the church or something communal in the in the middle. So it's it's really a model which is very similar to 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 the models uh, of the of the PPNA villages uh, on the on the continent. In addition, uh, we found that these people living in this village were hunting wild boar and cropping pistachio and cultivating cereals that they brought from the mainland. So they were hunters, cultivators, and this is a village. And all these main characteristics are really typical of the earliest phase of the Neolithic in the Levant that I call earlier PPNA, Pre-Pottery Neolithic A, the earliest Neolithic mm -hmm. years. But in, in detail, 8,800 is rather the end of this period. The discovery of Kimonos revealed intense navigation between the mainland and Cyprus that was unsuspected before for this period because we had nothing, really nothing. So now we are looking, uh, we are surveying and we are working on the uh, on, on all the plateaus in order to find sites earlier than Klimanas. Maybe there are some villages uh, dating to, to, to the end of the, of the 10th millennium. Uh, we don't know, but uh, it's possible that we, we find this such a village. Now you... Um... In this site, you, you, you mentioned that there's evidence of, of cats being introduced, uh, but not domesticated. So are we to infer that this, these cats are a food source or, or were they just um, uh, by um, chance discovered uh, there? No, uh, yeah, yes, yes. On this, on this site, we have also very interesting evidence of introduction. I mentioned uh, the introduction of, of cereals. Uh, these are wild cereals, but they have been introduced uh, and they are the ancestors of domestic uh, cereals. Concerning the animals, we have uh, evidence of introduction of, um, of mice uh, and of cat. We have the earliest bone of cat in Climonas, which suggests that people uh, introduced cat to, to Cyprus. I don't know. We don't know exactly when, but before the 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 the, the foundation of this of this criminal village. Uh, 
And uh, these cats were probably, uh, I don't, we don't know if they were eaten by people uh, for Chilorocampos. Yes, we have evidence for that. But for Climonas, we have no evidence. And we have no evidence about what was the relationship between humans and cats at that time in the village. We only suppose that cats were tolerated by people, at least tolerated by people, uh, in order to, to, to fight the, 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 the mice which were attracted in, into the village by the, by the, the cereal stalks or, 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 or wastes. And, and, and we're going to circle back to this again uh, when we talk about your, your finds at Chilurogambos. Now, it, would we say, or could we say that um, Glimonas is a culture on its own? And forgive me for asking this question because I am, I'm very novice, uh, uh, you know, to this area of study. But, you know, when we talk about, for example, Hirokitia, we talk about the settlement and there's also the Hirokitia as a culture. And I, I'm going to ask you two questions. Um, obviously, um, one of the questions is, what, what, what is Hirokitia as a culture? You know, what are its traits? You know, roundhouses, for example, you know, absence of pottery. And then again, um, and for Glimonas, is it a culture as well? Is it something that we can say separate from what characterizes the Hirokitia, Hirokitia culture? For Krivonas, we don't speak of a culture because we have only one or two sites first, and because most of the cultural characteristics that we found in these sites are really very similar to the ones on, on of the mainland. So we, we we prefer in the present state of knowledge to, to consider that uh, Krivonas is one of the many. Uh, PPNA sites that we know in the in the Near East at that time. For Kiyokitia, it's really different for several reasons. So I, I, I have first to, 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 to insist on the fact that Kiyokitia is 2,000 years later than Klimonas, 20 centuries between the two sites. Mm-hmm. Uh, why uh, why Kiyokitia is a site but also a culture? Because First, it's a, it's a big site. It's much larger village than Klimonas, five hectares in a total, uh, and uh, and this site is is not the only one. We have nearly eight to ten villages contemporaneous of Kirukitia with the same characteristics. So it's it's and and second and the second point is that. Uh, all these villages share a, a certain number of characteristics that are a little bit different from the ones of uh, the contemporaneous sites that have been found uh, in the in the mainland. Uh, there is a, 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 re- a regional signature of this way of life, which is visible in the archaeological remains that make it clear that uh, Cyprus at that time was somehow a little bit different in way of life than uh, the, the, the other sites on the mainland. And what are these main differences? You already mentioned some of them. 
the first one is that I don't know if it is the first one. <laughs> there are several, uh, but, <laughs> right. but this, these villages were composed of round uh, buildings. Uh, we didn't find really um, communal buildings uh, like in Klimanas. Uh, but what is different from the mainland is the absence of, of uh, pottery. This uh, seventh millennium, uh, when Kirkitia have been occupied, is characterized on in the Near East and in the Middle East by the apparition of the of the of the pottery. And here in Cyprus, no, there is no pottery. Pottery appears much later. And second. Uh, these people in in Kirukitia were practicing cultivation of domestic cereals and legumes, like the their neighbor of the of the continent. But they also were rearing uh, herding sheep and goat and pigs. But uh, and and they were still uh, hunting deer. But uh, they 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 had no cattle, which is very strange. No dog, and as I told, no pottery. And uh, this culture is really so different from the other culture, contemporary culture on the continent that uh, we can speak of the of Kirikitia culture. But what I have to mention is that before that, during the PPNA and PPNB, there is a relative homogeneity of the different villages from Turkey to Palestine and from Palestine to Cyprus or even to the boundaries of Iran. Uh, this is the, a very big area with rather similar uh, cultural signatures. There are some differences, of course, but not so much. And starting from the 7th millennium, the time of Kirukitia, you find a lot of different regional signatures, even on the mainland. So that is to say that Cyprus is not apart from the other regions of the mainland. During this seventh millennium, Cyprus appears with this Kirikitia culture as a, one of the many areas with a more local, more regional signature. This diversification of the of the archaeological signatures. Uh, during this uh, this century, is everywhere the same in the Eastern Mediterranean, and Cyprus is maybe a little bit more special than the other regions, but not so much. What makes Kirokitia so unique? The the Kirokitia is really a fantastic archaeological site uh, because of the preservation of this uh, uh, of these buildings. It's really one of the most important sites in the Mediterranean area because it's one of the earliest and it's a site where you can see a, more or less what was a Neolithic village. And there are no, not so numerous uh, in the Mediterranean area. You can see something similar in Jericho or in, in Gebekli, but Kirokitia is really an important site. It's important to emphasize that this uh, state of preservation of the of the buildings is mostly due to the fact that the building practices were uh, really good. They they were uh, involving stones and and earth, and the building were very strong, and they were 
very frequently uh, strengthened and uh, restored and remade in order to be to be solid. And and the this uh, round buildings is something strange because on the in the North Levant. Um, uh, buildings at that time were uh, quadrangulars. The, the, even in the in this north of Levant, quadrangular buildings appear around uh, the ninth millennium, or uh, uh, that is to say, much earlier. So uh, it's if you look only at the north Levant, you see that Kirukitia seems to be really late. Uh, it's a, a kind of ancestral. Uh, uh, continuation of the of the model of round buildings, but if you look at the um, uh, at the South Levant, you find some sites, especially in Jordan, where the buildings are still round at the same period as uh, Kiriki, the the Kirukitia culture. So it, it's not really um, a kind of uh, uh, mark or or primitive uh, primitive uh, system primitive technique uh, like some archaeologists uh, thought uh, 20 or 30 years ago it's also uh, a local mark of um, way of life of way of of building uh, to keep the, this uh, these round buildings and in cyprus buildings are round in kirkitia they were round before and they Begin, they will begin to be a little bit different during the Sotira period, that is to say during the 5th millennium, where building appear to be more quadrangular, even though the angles are around it. As we mentioned, some of your work involved the site of Shilurogambos, where you most, you and your team most famously discovered the remains of an eight-month-old cat, changing the narrative of feline domestication. Uh, before we dive into that, um, there's a, a couple of theoretical sort of framework that I want to address just to wrap my head around to better understand the significance of the find and, and the period, uh, including this concept of neolithization. So to begin with, what is that and how does that better understand, help us understand uh, animal husbandry in the period? Yes, it's it's yeah. a very difficult question, and and we have no clear answer. It's still a, a problem for for science to understand uh, what what triggered uh, neolithization. It's it's not possible to bring a unique and simple answer. We know that the neolithic transition was very slow, as I already mentioned, and that it didn't bring to a rapid and complete replacement of hunting gathering. Uh, this is why the increase of food supply cannot be considered uh, as the unique reason or even as the main reason of the Neolithic transition. This transition should be considered as multifactorial. There is an impact, of course, of the climate change because Neolithization uh, uh, took place at a time when this was the transition between the, the, the late glacial times and the Holocene, and the weather was uh, hotter. This is also the time of demographic growth. Maybe demographic growth is triggered by climate change, but it cannot explain everything. 
This is also a time of technical innovations and complexification of the social life with research of maybe prestige, of manifestation of wealth, and also a time of new beliefs. Uh, so I think that we have to consider all these different factors and consider that they are interacting between them. And all this system in, in some areas will slowly evolve to a new, a new behavior of all the society and a new system of exploitation of the environment. But this is not true everywhere in the world. In some places, uh, people didn't adopt it, uh, a, a neuritic model, or, or sometimes they, they just uh, adopted a system that we call low-level food production. That is to say something in between uh, hunting, gathering, and, and, and uh, farming. And there's a lot of areas in the world, I think to, to America, especially North or South America, uh, but also in Southeast Asia or in Africa, where the neuritization is not uh, like in Europe or in the Near East, a, a, a drastic change uh, of life and of economy. So it's a, it, it, there is no... no Uni a unique answer to your question. There is a lot of different answers, and this is the the goal of archaeology to try to multiplicate the multiplicate the the examples and the scenarios for making clearer this this transition. Now, with um, and if maybe you can help me understand this other component, this concept of neolithization also essentially means animal husbandry as well. Am I correct in, 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 uh, in, in that statement? Uh, it's, it's not only animal, yeah, it's not only animal uh, husbandry. It's, it's, a, it's a very complex uh, system of, uh, of, uh, of transitions, uh, cultivations, of course, uh, uh, sedentarization, uh, pottery, Okay. Uh, new social systems, neuritization is all this, and all, also okay. uh, technical uh, innovations. Now, with Chiluro Campos, you, um, there was a, a discovery uh, of a grave. Uh, I was hoping you can tell us a little bit about how that came about. Uh, did, did you immediately know the significance of the grave that you found on the site? And, and what it meant to our understanding of domestication, uh, in particular with, with cats. Was that immediately known? Um, is there anything you can tell us about that find? The answer is no and yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, the site was big, and uh, I was myself excavating in another place at, that, at the time of the discovery, and, uh, and some colleagues were excavating uh, the burial, with a cat, and they were focusing on the human skeleton. That is normal, of course. Right. And um, one of my colleagues, for the, for the small story, one of my colleagues brought me something, I don't remember what, and told me, oh, they are, they are excavating the, the burial and they are finding small boats. And just at that time, I say, I have to go there and, and look by myself. And when I, I arrived on the place, I immediately understood 
This is why I answered no and yes. <laughs> no, yeah. because most of the of my colleagues were not s sensible to, to animal birds and they didn't mm -hmm. understand really what they, they were finding. And yes, because I was uh, skilled to, to, to animals in burials, I immediately understood that it was something exceptional because... Most of the, this this cat skeleton is the only complete animal skeleton on the site, and on this site we found more than hundred thousand animal bones. That is to say, it's huge, and on, the only one complete skeleton in connection. The bones are still in in the in in the right disposition, and so on. Is that one? When you find a complete skeleton of animal. You have two possibilities. Either it's an animal who died apart from the village and which has been naturally, more or less naturally buried, and you find the skeleton, and that's it. Or it's an it's a complete skeleton which is in a special context. And it was obvious that it was a special context because it was one of the rare human burials of the site. So I immediately understood that this animal have been intentionally deposited together with the human, and we are, and that we are, we were facing kind of mise en scène. I don't know if it makes sense in English. It's a, an arrangement, yeah. uh, which is a kind of representation of the of the after after death. This animal was. Put was laid there with the human in a special position because they were looking in mirror one to the to each other, mm -hmm. and and uh, in order to represent maybe uh, for sure uh, uh, um, a mental image, but maybe a situation of the real life, and this was the thing that human and cats were connected with something at that time. And this is why I, I, we were really cautious when we published the discovery and say early tame cat and so on and so on. We didn't speak of domestication. We speak of um, relationships, intensification of relationship, taming. Uh, and, and, but, but this arrangement, which is very, very rare, uh, was really significant for us, and we we right. found some similar arrangements in uh, between dogs and uh, and humans in uh, in Palestine uh, for the Epipaleolithic and early Neolithic also. Were there any other goods found in the grave? Goods found in the burial? Yes. And um, and, and yes. can we infer based on this? If uh, based on these grave goods, can we infer anything about the status of the individual that was buried? Yeah, yes. Uh, for sure, it was not uh, a very common burial. We had not a lot of burials in Chirocambos, but this one was special because of the numerous objects that were deposited with the with the young uh, male, because it was a young male. Of course, the cat, but also uh, a series of... Uh, of prestige uh, or uh, useful uh, items. There were uh, a green stone axe. There were um, 
flint blades, there were um, uh, a pendant uh, composed of one green stone and, and several uh, marine shells. Uh, there were not a lot, but there were a series of objects that wa was not uh, currently found in um, in uh, in other in, in the other burials, which uh, sig signify that the the the, the 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 subject was somebody special in the society. The cat itself. What do we know about it? What what was its age, uh, species? Is there any way we can we we can know the sex, for example? Uh, sex we don't know, but uh, we know that it was uh, about eight months old, uh, because uh, the all the teeth were grown. Uh, he had no, uh, not any uh, milk teeth. Uh, in the mouth, and um, and it's it was approximately the the size of an adult cat. The size was very large, similar to the size of uh, of wild cats. But at that time, cats were really large, and the the the, the morphology was very similar to 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 wild to the wild ancestor. What is interesting is that. When we we did further investigations during the last years, after the publication of, of 2004, we found a series of very, very small evidence that this cat was a little bit um, bigger and better fed than uh, the other cats that we found in the site which suggests that it was actually uh, living with humans or fed by humans. It mm -hmm. had probably a special statute. Another question is that this cat was young, so it didn't die by, by his own. And probably it has been uh, sacrificed uh, for the, 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 the burial ceremony. Uh, but we have no evidence of that. We can just suspect that it was the case. Now, these these cats, I know it's a little bit diff difficult to say that, to talk about it in terms of domestication, but we do know that there's there's a relationship uh, between humans and, and cats. This, for, for a, a lack of a better word, domestication, would we... Could, are we suggesting, or do you suggest uh, that it happened abroad? It happened in, say, Anatolia, and then they were brought over, or would did, did this happen likely on Cyprus instead of being on the mainland? Do we have any idea of when this relationship uh, would would have been cultivated? Uh, it's it's really difficult to answer. Of course, uh, you're right, but uh, but I suspect that this cat was was born in Cyprus because he was young, and because uh, we ha we have uh, cat bones in all the sites of these periods. You know, in every village there were probably cats hunting mice in the in the smaller uh, streets of the village. So there were cats everywhere in the villages. So it, maybe this one, which was really special, might have been introduced from elsewhere. But 
I don't know. But, but it's it's really impossible to tell it, and it, it, it's less probable that people introduce a cat from the mainland than people take a cat in the within the cat prisons in the site and 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 tame them or domesticated them. But we know so little about that. And and you you mentioned that these um, uh, rather you alluded many times that the 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 taming of cats goes hand in hand with the Neolith, Neolithic period, and I, I I suppose it has a lot to do with grain storage. Can you just explain that one more time to listeners? Yeah. What's the relationship between cats, mice, and grain? Of course, this is what we we imagine, but uh, we we. We observed that uh, in the in the Near East, uh, around this this period, uh, ten thousand uh, BC, or in Egypt, uh, five millennia later, or in China, again five millennia later, uh, cats appear around humans, uh, or in burials, uh, at the time when people began to 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 cultivate and to have. Uh, grain uh, storage, and at this time also uh, began to appear in the villages uh, uh, what we call commensal mice, that is to say mice living mostly from the human waste and, and, and storage. And uh, it's, it's, it's a really uh, classical uh, ecological uh, phenomenon when mice uh, are concentrated in a place, their main predator are also concentrated at this place. So if mice begin to, to proliferate in, uh, in, uh, in some villages, cats, but also other small carnivores such as uh, fox, uh, will enter the village. And if human uh, didn't chase them too much, they will stay there and they will fed uh, upon the, the, the mice uh, of the village. So we imagine that the scenario for cat domestication began with this kind of commensalism, attraction by, 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 by storage and by mice of cats, and, get, and, gi- and gave birth to a more intensive relationship between human and cat, starting from the time that first human considered that cat was useful to fight against these pests, and second, that cats are interesting animals and probably children play a role in this. I can imagine. This is a small right, story. Right. <laughs> but, but, you know, there, there is uh, different levels of, um, of interaction. And I think that not necessarily after a very long time, some people can weave deeper relationship with some cats in order to make them pets, finally, starting from this presence in in the in the village, uh, uh, in the Neolithic villages. You mentioned that this particular cat was uh, larger than the the regular wild cat, and um, presumably that's because it was fed, uh, and that led to that biological change. With the taming of cats, are there other biological uh, consequences, uh, intended or otherwise, 
um, from generation to generation. Like, are there, are, are, could we say there's these micro evolutionary changes that we could see in, in this, in this period? Yes, theoretically, there are some changes. But first, the morphological changes that we can detect on the on the bone, which are the only thing which is preserved in the archaeological sites, are very small for cats. You know, if you compare a, a, a domestic cat with a wild cat skeleton, there is not a, a huge difference. Not such as importance. Not not such important as for. For dogs, for example, between wolf and 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 dogs, of course, the differences are, are very visible. So the first reason is that the more the the variability, morphological variability of uh, of small fillets is small, and the modification are, are really difficult to detect. And the second point is that um, this modification appear uh, very slowly uh, during the domestication process. And only very, very, very small modification um, uh, can appear at such an early time. Uh, and this modification and the detection of this very, very small modification uh, requires a very, very good preservation of the bones. And un unfortunately, in Chirocombos and in Cyprus, generally speaking, the, these Neolithic bones of animals are really very degraded and it's you know this poor uh, cat skeleton is famous now throughout the world but it's so ugly so destroyed it's really <laughs> bad when you look at yeah. it <laughs> poor cat <laughs> and 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 it's really very very difficult to extract some uh, refined uh, information uh, for really detecting the, the the small variations that are uh, resulting from uh, from the domestication. Is this the uh, is this still this cat? Uh, is it still the oldest evidence that we have for the um, taming of cats in the world? As I as I mentioned, that there are in now three places where uh, cat have been uh, have been domesticated independently, the one from the other. Uh, so they, there is this this uh, Levant Levant area where Cyprus plays a major role because this is a place where you can see uh, that cats are connected with human because there is no cat uh, on the island before human came there. So the the, the nearest is, is 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 the earliest place where we have uh, evidence of cat uh, taming and, and domestication, but a similar phenomenon occurred in, uh, in Egypt, in the Nile Valley, um, during the fourth millennium, so that is to say uh, five millennia later, uh, starting from the same, um, the same uh, wild species, which is the Felis sylvestris libica, uh, with a, a second process of domestication. And the, the, these two places, Levant and, uh, and Egypt, uh, produced all the domestic cat that we have today throughout the world. That is to say that all our domestic cats are coming from either Levantine or Egypt, Egyptian uh, domestication. And the mm -hmm. two lineages uh, cross together and make a, 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 this, this diversity of, of cats that we know today. And there is a, a third place where uh, cats have been domesticated, but it's not the same ancestor is the, the, the leopard cat, 
which is a, a small um, Chinese uh, felid, wild felid, which have been domesticated in, uh, in North China around the same date as uh, the domestication in Egypt. And this domestication gave birth to, to, to nearly domestic cats during the late Neolithic and, uh, and Bronze Age of China. And after, we have no data, we don't know what happened. Probably this, this Chinese lineage uh, became extinct. Um, anyways, what we know is that the first representation of, of cats in the Chinese manuscripts of the Han period are not local cats, but they are coming from, from the Levant or from the, from the West. Uh, that is to say that uh, already at that time, during the Han period, which is contemporaneous of the Roman times, uh, you you have uh, you have uh, already uh, domestic cat coming from the Near East or Egypt in China, which had replaced the local domestication, uh, the local uh, domestication of yes of um, of mm-hmm. leopard cat. So what is interesting for us is that the 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 scenario. Um, uh, happened three times in different places without any connection between them. And this strengthened the, the hypothesis of that we spoke uh, of, that is to say, uh, agriculture, uh, mice and, and, uh, and cats. And we can see, we can see finally that uh, cat domestication is a result of the birth of, of agriculture. Cat is the, is the domestic animal of, uh, of, of first cultivators, finally. And you know it's 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 fitting, as I'm sure you you know, being in Cyprus, uh, excavating all over the island, that cats are ubiquitous in Cyprus. <laughs> they <laughs> are everywhere uh, to this very day. So it's fitting that some of the oldest evidence that we have for domestication is on 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 that island, isn't it? Yes, yes, really, really. It's a, it's not a, it's not really surprising because you you cannot detect the early stages of cat domestication uh, on the mainland because you are never able to tell if the cat bone that you find are connected with commensal cat or cat trapped in in the wild you cannot say but in cyprus you can say it because there is no wild cat locally but you're right. The, 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 the fantastic thing is that there is a kind of convergence of this, of this situation, which helps archaeologists to detect domestication. And the fact that Cyprus is well known to be the island of cats everywhere. <laughs> Literally, yeah, everywhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Jean-Denis, thank you uh, so much for accepting my invitation and, and sharing with listeners uh, of the History of Cyprus podcast all the fantastic work that you've done in Cyprus over the years. And it, it, it's incredible. And obviously we know that, that your work is, is very significant in helping us understand the world around us and uh, its significance to, to Cypriot history. And I can't thank you enough. Thank you very much. It was my pleasure and, uh, and it was very exciting to, to know that I can contribute at least a little bit to improve the knowledge about the pressure of Cyprus. Take care, Jean-Denis. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Thank you.